Welcome again to our weekly study in God's Word. If you were with me last time, we started exploring David's greatest psalm, Psalm 23. Let me take a moment and refresh your memory as to the content of Psalm 23. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 23, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we saw in the previous program, David, drawing on his personal experience, looked at his life and could see how the Lord had been like a shepherd to him. Like the sheep in Psalm 23, we are on a journey, a journey that will be complete when we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our destination is settled and sure. However, it is the until then days we must live through. It is the until we dwell in the house of the Lord days that we must deal with and must face. As I said in the previous program, Psalm 23 speaks to us of how we can face the days that are ahead. The journey to the house of the Lord will bring days of lying in green pastures and drinking from still waters. But it will also consist of narrow paths that lead us through valleys and rough terrain. Therefore, we need to know how we can face the days that are ahead. We saw in our previous program that the Lord will be with us. No matter what tomorrow holds, the Lord is our shepherd and He will take care of us, watch over us, and be with us. But now I want us to think of how the days ahead can be happy trails. In the previous program, we briefly noticed the words at the end of the first verse of Psalm 23 where David says, I shall not want. I want to call your attention to the word want that David uses when he says, I shall not want. The word want speaks of that which is lacking, thereby producing want in our life. David says, I shall not want. So in essence, David is testifying that he is a happy man. He is declaring that he has in life all he needs and is perfectly content, completely satisfied and happy. It is indeed happy trails for David. So the question then is, how can it be happy trails for you and for me? To answer that, think with me first of all of the life of happiness. People want to be happy. Unless you are some kind of Scrooge, you do not want to be miserable and unhappy. To be able to say, I shall not want, is the greatest quest of both the young and the old. To be happy is what many look for, long for, and that for which they live. David tells us that we can be happy. Think with me of David's words, I shall not want. In those words, we see how he speaks of the reality of a life of happiness. His words remind us that a life of happiness is possible and obtainable. Happiness does not have to be anything more than a wishful dream. 
It can be reality. His words indicate that life does not have to be one of want. If there is one thing people want, it is not to be in want. They want to be happy. And David tells us that happiness can be a reality of our life. We do not have to want. We can be satisfied, content, and happy. Oftentimes, we have been blessed by the great hymns of Fanny Crosby. Hymns like Blessed Assurance and All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Blind from six weeks of age, before she died at the age of 95, she had composed over 3,000 hymns, many of which remain favorites today. In my opinion, one of the greatest things that ever came from her pen was something she wrote at the age of eight. Listen carefully to her words. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Happy, contented, enjoying life. That was the testimony of an eight-year-old blind girl. Even at a young age, she had learned the reality of a life of happiness. The Apostle Paul gave this testimony in Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Please understand that Paul was not saying that life had been easy or that he had never had to deal with distressing or discouraging situations. The truth is, that is about all he was acquainted with. But in every situation, he had learned to be content. To put it in David's words, Paul was able to say, I shall not want. He had discovered the reality of a life of happiness. You see, happiness, real happiness, does not depend on happenings. I read about a missionary that was leading a service in a leper colony on the island of Tobago. He asked if anyone had a favorite song. A woman that had no ears or nose with one of the most disfigured faces he had ever seen raised a fingerless hand and asked, Could we sing Count Your Many Blessings? It would appear that she had discovered the reality of a life of happiness in spite of her conditions and situation. Are you able to say, I do not want? Or do you find yourself saying, If only this were different or... If only I had this or that, I would be happy. One may say, if I were rich, I would be happy. Another may say, if I could get that promotion, then I would be happy. Or another may say, if I were only married, then I would be happy. That reminds me of a little girl that attended her first wedding. She whispered to her mother, Why is the bride dressed in white? The mother said, Because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. The little girl thought about this for a moment and then said, So, why is the groom wearing black? You do not have to say, I am in want. You can say, I shall not want. There is the reality of a life of happiness. In fact, God wants us to live a life of happiness. He doesn't want us to go through life discouraged, depressed, and distressed. I think about the story Charles Spurgeon told of a man that visited his church and later wrote him a letter in which he said that as soon as he entered the church, he knew that it could not be the house of God. The reason he gave was that Spurgeon looked too cheerful and the congregation was too happy. It would seem that 
the visitor thought that Christians should be anything but happy. When you look at the average church and church member, it would appear that many feel that very same way. It reminds me of a little boy that saw a mule for the first time. He said to his mother, Mom, that mule must be a Christian. His mother, somewhat surprised by his comment, asked what he meant by that. He replied, because he has such a long face. The evangelist Vance Habner said, the average Sunday morning congregation appears as if it has gathered to mourn a defeat rather than a celebrate a victory. To many, it seems to be that they are enduring their salvation instead of enjoying it. We need to remind ourselves that we've not been called to a funeral, but to a feast. We don't have to face life mule-faced. There is the reality of a life of happiness. Furthermore, David's words also speak to me of the vitality of a life of happiness. When we look at Psalm 23, we see a journey from earth to glory. This journey is a mixture of events and happenings. As I have previously stated, there are green pastures and still waters, but there are also the valleys through which we must pass. David describes this mixture of happenings and declares that being happy is a secret to facing whatever life brings us. It is easy being happy when we are lying in green pastures and drinking from still waters. It is another thing altogether to be happy when we are in the valley. Yet to be happy in the distressful times as well as in the delightful times is vital for the journey. Being happy is a is a key to facing the days that are ahead with strength and victory. George Mueller, though a man always of delicate physical constitution, began evangelistic tours at the age of 70. For the next 17 years, he traveled an equivalent of eight times around the world. During that time, he continued to carry much of the responsibilities of the orphanages he had founded until beyond the age of 90. As a young man, Mueller's frequent and serious illnesses made many feel that he would die early or hopelessly succumb to disease. Yet at age 92, he said, I have been able every day and all the day to work and with that ease as 70 years ago. He ascribed his marvelous preservation to three causes. First, the exercising himself to have always a conscience void of offense both toward God and toward man. Second, to the love he felt for the Scriptures and the constant recuperative power they exercised upon his whole being. And third, to the happiness he felt in God and in His work, which relieved him of all anxiety and needless wear and tear in his labors. Did you notice carefully what George Mueller said? One of the reasons he felt that he had lived as long as he did and was able to do all he did was because of the happiness he experienced in life. He had been able to say, I shall not want. And the ability to do so had been a vital factor in his life. In the book, Happiness is a Choice, Frank Minear and Paul Meyer stated that about every 20 minutes, someone in the U.S. commits suicide. According to the U.S. government, over 38,000 people committed suicide in 2010. In addition to those who succeeded, the New York Times reported that about 5 million people in America have attempted to kill themselves. 
No doubt many of those referred to in those figures are people that were just plain downright unhappy. Their lack of happiness left them unable and unequipped to face what life had brought their way. What I am saying is that a life of happiness is a secret to facing the days that are ahead. Can you say with David, I shall not want? Yet in spite of the reality and the vitality of a life of happiness, there are many who are not enjoying such a life. That leads me to the second thing I want you to think about. Secondly, think with me of the lack of happiness. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson declared that we, as Americans, as well as all people, are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. What are those inalienable rights of which Jefferson wrote? They are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. A foundational stone of the American way of life is the freedom to pursue that which will make us happy. Yet, with this green light to pursue happiness, it seems that many are anything but happy. It seems that in many cases, there has been a futile search for happiness. Janice Woolley, author of Are You Happy?, reported that, that according to expert opinion, perhaps only 20% of Americans are happy. In my research, I ran across one report that stated, the good news is that most people will be better off in the next millennium. The bad news is that we will all be more miserable. In an article from the Los Angeles Times titled, It's a Juggle Out There, the question is asked, the world as we know it has changed forever and the American century looks to conclude with a huge party. But if we are so rich, how come we're not happy? Tom Smith of the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago stated that job satisfaction, financial satisfaction, and overall happiness are all lower now than the average for the past 20 years. In one article, it spoke of our unhappiness epidemic. I find all that very interesting when you stop and think of how our generation has been one consumed with the desire to be happy. We are a generation that is always after something bigger, faster, thinner, and nicer. We are a generation that has more available to us from the world's point of view to make us happier than any other generation. Yet we have become the generation afflicted with an unhappiness epidemic. You could say that the best of times have been the worst of times. In our frantic pursuit of happiness, we are only that much more unhappy. To paraphrase Ronald Reagan's famous question, are we better off than we were 40 years ago? Had you fallen asleep in 1960 and awakened today, you would be awakening to a double divorce rate, a tripled teen suicide rate, a quadrupled rate of reported violent crime, a quintupled prison population, a sextupled percent of babies born to unmarried parents, a sevenfold increase in cohabitation and soaring rates of depression, ten times the pre-World War II level by one estimate. There's not much that Al Gore says that I agree with, but he did say one thing that hits the nail on the head. The accumulation of material goods is at an all-time high, but so is the number of people who feel emptiness in their lives. In an article in Christianity Today by David G. Myers entitled Wanting More in an Age of Plenty, 
the subtitle was, Our Wallets Are Fat, But Our Souls Are Empty. In that article, Myers writes, The paradox of our time and history is that we spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy it less. It would seem that our pursuit of happiness is a futile one. Our pursuit of happiness has been like chasing a greased pig. Or like the dog chasing its tail and cannot catch it no matter how fast he goes. The moment we think we have it in our hands, happiness slips away. Our search for happiness has been in large part a futile one. And why is that? Let me say that it has been futile because we have sought happiness in the false sources of happiness. You know, there's an old hymn that has the following lines. I cried to broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. E'en as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. Dr. Michael Smith said, Western men are richer, healthier, and better educated than ever before. And yet, as we nibble our happy meals or sup our happy hour drinks, happiness itself seems hard to find. The reason our search for happiness has been in vain is that we have been drinking from broken cisterns. We have been searching for happiness in all the wrong places. For example, many have felt that possessions were the source of happiness. Three and four entering American colleges now consider it very important or essential that they become very well off financially. Princeton sociologist Robert Wuthnow stated that 84% of Americans wish they had more money, 78% said it was very or fairly important to have a beautiful home, a new car, and other nice things. A Lexus ad proclaimed, Whoever said money can't buy happiness isn't spending it right. Many think that if they had more or were wealthy, they would be happy. But is that true? H.W. Perkins surveyed 800 college alumni with yuppie values, meaning those who, were, who preferred a high income, occupational success, and prestige over anything else. He discovered that they were twice as likely as their former classmates to describe themselves as fairly or very unhappy. If you want to know if riches will make you happy, the best thing to do is ask the people who are rich. They would tell you otherwise. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, when dying said, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. In an article from the Atlanta Business Chronicle, Mark Meltzer wrote of how lottery winners often wind up wishing they hadn't been so lucky. Why? Because the sudden wealth they found only opened the door to unimaginable stress and unhappiness. John D. Rockefeller Sr. said, The poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money, and certainly some of the wealthiest men I have known had very little money. Wallace Johnson, one of the co-founders of Holiday International, said, When one has money, he realizes that it is not where life's meaning is found. Yet for many, they feel the way to be happy is to be rich. Then there are those who think that popularity and fame will bring them happiness. We watch Hollywood personalities think, if I could be like her or like him, then I would be really happy. The truth is, some of the most miserable, unfulfilled and unhappy people in the world are the Hollywood crowd. For those who have fame and popularity have discovered they have found it a source not of happiness, but of unhappiness. At the peak of her fame and fortune, Chris Everett Lloyd 
with 146 tennis championships behind her and married to John Lloyd said, we get into a rut. We play tennis, we go to a movie, we watch TV, but I keep saying, John, there has to be more. Elvis Presley, six weeks before he died, was asked by a reporter, Elvis, when you first started playing music, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. Are you happy? Elvis replied, I'm lonely as hell. And there are those who think that pleasure will make them happy. Lord Chesterton said, I have run the silly rounds of pleasure and by no means desire to repeat the nauseous dose. What do they all say? They all testify that trying to find happiness in possessions, popularity, or pleasure and such things is like drinking from broken cisterns. They're all false sources of happiness. Understanding this, where can real happiness be found? Notice with me lastly, the Lord of happiness. If you want to be happy, then ask someone who is really happy. Ask them what the secret to their happiness is. David has declared that he is a happy and contented man. So let's ask him what the secret of happiness is. David, you tell us that you are not in want. Why is that? Please tell us your secret. His answer, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's break his answer down and see what David's secret was, what his source of happiness was. First we see the relationship he declared. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. David declares that he has a personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord is both a Savior and a shepherd to David. As Savior, David has a relationship with the Lord. And as shepherd, the Lord has a relationship with David. David is saying the Lord is his shepherd and he, David, is one of his sheep. His words are words of certainty. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you have that assurance today that you have a relationship with the Lord? Is He your Savior and Shepherd? Until you have the Lord as your Savior and Shepherd, you will never be happy. Are you able to sing with Fanny Crosby, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Before a person can ever talk or think about being happy or experiencing happiness, they must be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Why is that? Well, notice that David not only speaks with words of certainty, but also with contentment, for we see the result he described. What is the result of this relationship with the Lord? David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He attributes his happiness and contentment to his relationship with the Lord. I want you to understand that there will never be and can never be any real happiness without the Lord. He and He alone is the real source of joy and happiness. George Gallup once took a poll of representative groups of people to ascertain which are the happiest. He found that the happiest people are those who claim to have a real relationship with God. Do you want to be happy? One of the secrets to facing the days that are ahead is to be able to say, I shall not want. Jesus is the secret. And He is the source of happiness. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to bring a life that is overflowing with happiness. 
Only Jesus can take away your wants and replace them with peace, contentment, and happiness. Without Him, there can be no happiness. But with Him, you can face the days that are ahead with happiness. If Jesus is your Savior and Shepherd, it can be happy trails for you. So how does Jesus become your Savior and Shepherd? A Philippian jailer once asked a similar question to the Apostle Paul, and his answer is found in Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In John 3.15, Jesus Himself said that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10.9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thus, the Bible tells us exactly what is necessary to establish a relationship with the Lord. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and that He rose from the dead as proof that your sins are forgiven and that He is indeed Lord. Right now, if you've never done so before, call on the Lord. Agree with Him that you need a Savior and ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins in Jesus' name. And then... Believe in your heart that God has forgiven you and then start discovering genuine joy and real happiness.